Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. For some of you I recognize, some of you are our friends and family who are in town, and it's, it's really great to see all of you. And for those of you watching online, thank you for joining us. I'm uh, That song that we just sang, how many of y'all got married where there was uh, people singing as you? Uh, that, I feel like that was a thing my dad used to do a lot when I was younger, was he would be like uh, with a group that would sing, and that was always my favorite uh, wedding song, was the How Beautiful um, and the the bride walking down the aisle. Anyway, great song. Um, So we've been going through a series called The Test, and I took the challenge upon myself to think, how can I continue through my series called The Test while also knowing that Easter Sunday was in the middle of the series? And so I've taken this challenge upon myself to try and incorporate both both our series and also the fact that we got to make sure we talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I try to talk about the resurrection of Jesus every week, but uh, I um, definitely am excited about trying to incorporate these two together. So before I get started, um, I'm going to show this picture. How many of you know what this uh, picture is? Does anybody recognize this a commercial? Does anybody know, want to say who the, the guy is, uh, the football player? Mean Joe Green. Y'all know he's from Temple, Texas? I don't know if y'all knew that. Grew up in Temple, Texas. Mean Joe. Uh, if you, for those of you who don't remember the commercial or, like me, uh, never saw it live, uh, the commercial is uh, where Mean Joe's walking off the field all, you know, you know tired from a game and you know, really sore and tired, I guess. And the, the kid walks by and says, hey, Mean Joe, can I, can I help you with anything? And he's like, no, it's okay, kid. And he says, no, here, you can have my Coke. And uh, this is not a commercial promoting Coke, you know, just, uh, but if anyone wants to buy me one, I'll take it. Uh, but uh, he, he gives him the Coke and then he drinks it. And as the kid's walking away, Mean Joe says, you know, hey, kid, catch, you know, and tosses him his jersey, right? And the idea of the, the promotion of the commercial is this, when you're watching, they're hoping that there are other people watching the commercial that are just like, man, you know, I'm pretty worn out. I'm pretty tired, too. Like, uh, you know, I may not be a football player, but I'm, I'm tired. Life is kind of wearing me out a little bit. I could really use a Coke, too. Now, for me, I, I actually feel like there, there are some days where I actually think, you know what? Today is just, I'm, I'm lagging a little bit. I want to run to Sonic real quick and grab something, you know, a cherry limeade or some, something to drink to pick me up. And I wanted to use this illustration, and I'm going to tie it back in, but I think uh, a lot of times, a lot of the way we live our lives and our, our, the, what the world tries to advertise to us is that a lot of us are going through kind of a rough season, you know, or we're, we're just kind of down. And the world is constantly going to advertise something to you that says, hey, you know, if you buy this, if you get started in this program, if you do this or that, then, you know, we can... We can uh, Put a smile on your face. I'm pretty sure the end of the commercial I watched on YouTube, it ends with have a Coke and a smile. And then it actually says Coke adds life. Uh, and I thought my wife would say that it, takes, it doesn't do that uh, for your cholesterol. But, um, but, you know, this idea of, you know, it'll bring joy in life. So to transition, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we are, this is a letter that is written by Peter to a group of Christians who are living in a world that does not accept Christianity at all. If anything, they are being persecuted because of the fact that they are Christians. And so they, in many ways, are going through 
uh, far more trials than we could probably imagine with what it means to be persecuted for being a Christian. So with this in mind, let's read from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. I'm going to read it just without stopping, and then I'm going to go back and point out a couple things that are important. By the way, this, uh, this passage, I hope as you hear it, it's just beautiful, the way it's written. It's such great writing. And also, a cool little note, this whole section, from actually from verses 3 through 12 in Greek, is all one long run-on sentence. There's no periods. Now, Greek doesn't have punctuation, but it's all, it's all one long run-on sentence, partially because for Peter, he can't help but write and talk about the resurrection without just... He can't stop going. Everything connects with the next thing. He can't put a, a pin on in it. He has to just keep going and going because of how much this all ties in together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what Paul or what Peter has here that's quite a challenge is he is trying to communicate two things that are interlinked together. He is trying to talk to a group of Christians who are visibly sitting there probably thinking, why did we sign up for this Christianity thing? Because of all the things, all the ways that it is making our lives more difficult, the pain and struggles that we're going through for being a Christian. And he's trying to paint a picture for them to realize just how incredible and wonderful the hope that they have is in the resurrection. And he's trying to hold these two things at the same time. He's not trying to get them to ignore their trials and say, hey, hey, just don't pay attention to that. Look at this over here while also trying to get them to realize in the grand scheme of things what exactly their new birth in this relationship with Christ means for them. And so let's, I want to point out, in each of the three slides, I want to point out something that I think is really helpful for us understanding just how, uh, how big a deal this is to Peter. And so here I highlighted this part where it says, you have been born into a, a, new, birth, a new birth, into a living hope, and into an inheritance. So you got to keep in mind that all these people that Peter are writing to have probably been disinherited by their families because all of them grew up following some religion, some gods that were the family gods, and they have decided to no longer worship those gods, and instead they are going to worship God only, Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, their family has probably disowned them and literally said, you are no longer welcome to be a part of our family. And while family is a big deal here in the Western culture, I don't think we can even grasp just how much family identity is such a big deal in Eastern culture. Like, for example, you know, notice how, like, in China, your last name is your first, it comes first, and then you say your last name. In here, family loyalty is a big deal, but usually, for a lot of people, people know themselves first. I know myself first as Drew Ritchie, and I am a part of the Ritchie family. In this part of the world, in this time period, you are first and foremost a part of the, of the Ritchie family, 
and then you are your, yourself. And so what these Christians have done by choosing to leave their religion of their family, they have literally lost for them their inheritance. They have lost their family. Their family says, like, you no longer a part of this family. And so when you're reading this, you need to think when they say this line here, when you grow up, you are born into a family, and part of that identity is that you are born into the inheritance that comes with that family. And so Peter, he's doing this really creative thing by saying, I know so many of y'all have lost your family, but guess what? Because you decided to believe in Jesus Christ, because you've decided to be born again through the waters of baptism, you have been born into a new family. And even though this family isn't like the one you grew up with, this family comes with a new inheritance. And even though this inheritance doesn't look like money, it doesn't look like land or cattle or all those things that we think of when we think of inheritance, this inheritance is even more special because unlike all those things, those things can be lost, those things can rust and decay, but the inheritance that comes with this new family is one that is undefiled, it's unfading, it's unblemished because it is kept safe for you in heaven. It is the inheritance of eternal life with God. So that's one of the, he's trying to, he's trying to hold these two ideas. He's saying, I know in one hand, you see the persecution you're feeling from losing your family, but I'm trying to get you to see this new family you have, even though you can't see the inheritance, I want you to know it is protected for you. And it's even greater than any inheritance you could have from this life. This next slide is the one where this theme of the testing kind of intersects a little bit uh, better, a little stronger. Because Peter's going to, he doesn't deny or ignore the trials that they're going through. He says, in this, you rejoice. Because even though now for a little while, you've had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that goes through a refining, gold goes through a refining moment, just like that we go through refining moments. And the outcome of that refinement is that we may be able to praise God more, glorify more God more, and honor God more. And I think Jesus is a good example of this. Jesus, through his trials and his testing, his, his journey to the cross, was even more able to glorify God, honor God, and reveal God's love to the world. But one thing I highlighted is the thing that always gets me. There's, there's multiple times in the Bible where sometimes I'm just like, I wish you could have explained that better, God, because I don't like it. Because I know some of you are sitting here right now or have sat here before and you said, how on earth am I supposed to rejoice in the stuff that I'm going through right now? That must have been a typo. Did he mean to spell something else? Like, I can't bring myself to be joyful right now. I, how, how, how are we supposed to be serious people and look at someone going through something difficult and say to them, hey, don't worry, turn that frown upside down because of Jesus. It feels very hypocritical. It feels very empty. And that's because, in my opinion, we don't quite grasp exactly what Christian joy looks like. We live in a world that's marked with death and loss and brokenness and pain. And joy, a Christian joy, is an attitude that we as God's people choose to adopt, not because of what we're going through makes us feel happy. Not because our circumstances are suddenly better, but because of our hope in God's love and God's promises. The hope of God's people is not determined by our struggles, but by our future destiny. And this is what Peter is talking about. This joy, he's not trying to get them to ignore or suppress their sorrow. That isn't healthy or helpful. 
uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians, he actually says the phrase, full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. So for him, he understands that those two things can exist at the same time. He doesn't expect you to stop being sorrowful or stop being sad. But Christian joy is not the same as choosing just to be peppy and happy. That's what I think the world thinks. Oh, well, they're a joyful person. They're bouncing off the walls, smiling, happy, everything's going good. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that when we face trials, when we're going through a difficult time, we're not a, we're not a bad Christian if we're not smiling all the time. That's, that's not what we're supposed to see. But choosing to rejoice means choosing to say, I'm willing to put my hope in Jesus Christ and not put my hope in what I see in front of me right now. That's what choosing to rejoice during your persecutions looks like. And then this last section says, although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. I love this part because we can relate to this. We are like the people in 1 Peter. We uh, if you're like me, I can't say that I've ever had a moment where I saw Jesus' face or I saw Jesus in front of me. And these people that Peter is writing to also didn't live when Jesus was walking and talking on earth. They didn't see him. But he's making an awesome contrast. He's, the religions that these Christians have just left were full of idols, where if you wanted your crops to do really well that year, you'd go and pray before this idol for good crops. And if you wanted, if you were hoping for... Uh, more children, you'd go and pray in front of this other god, this other idol. If you wanted good fortune with your business, there was another god or idol that you would worship. And all of these were visible stone idols. You could walk in front of them. You could see them. And now Christianity is a religion where there is no idols. There is no, you know, there is no uh, image of God that we can look at. He specifically tells us not to make an image of him, right? And so the contrast that he's making, which I love, is that he's saying, you have spent your life praying to these dead, visible idols. And now I am calling you to worship and rejoice in our invisible and living God. In the first section, it says, you have been born into a new and a living hope. And part of that idea of that phrase, living hope, is because he's trying to point at the fact that these idols are dead idols and false hope. Can you imagine if you spent your life growing up praying to this stone thing, thinking it's going to make a difference, and then someday someone says, hey, just so you know, that God, that stone, it's not anything you want to put your hope in. It's dead hope. It's false hope. You've heard that phrase before often. You, we don't want to tell someone, well, don't give them false hope. And yet, that is what goes on all the time in our lives and in our world. People are going to tell you, well, if you invest enough in your 401k, then everything's going to be okay. Yes, it's a good thing to invest in your retirement, but it's a problem if you think that giving everything to that means that all of a sudden your hope is going to be secured in something living, because it's not. It's something that will eventually fade, eventually, someday. Or whenever you think, well, if I just make sure my health is perfect, that is an, a thing that will someday fade. I've never met someone yet who's lived immortally, uh, because eventually that, that goes away. And so the world is constantly, even though we don't, many of us probably don't know people that pray to idols, we can still know people in our life who do put their hope in things that are dead, put their hope in things that will not last. And here we have something that we can't see, 
The world gives us all sorts of things that we can physically touch and see, but Christ has come to offer us something that we can't see and we, we haven't been able to see, but we rejoice knowing that this hope is a living hope. And the reason that we know it's a living hope is because Jesus is a living Savior. I think that's, that's where this all started and where this all begins. We have this living in hope in Christ because of the resurrection. We don't have to wonder, is Christ going to be able to actually live up to his end of the, the thing that we're hoping in? Of course we can trust that because of the reason we're celebrating today. We can trust that because we don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve a Savior who died. We serve one who died and now is alive and living. And we have a living hope in him. So I want to try and tie this together with an illustration. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you are movie watchers, but one of my top five favorite movies is called Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but um, it's a movie about a guy who was a boxer. It's a, a true story uh, about a guy named James Braddock who was a boxer during the Great Depression. And part of the idea of the movie is that He's, the movie starts off, things are great, and then like the next scene, you see a few years have passed and the Great Depression is going on. And everyone's going through a rough time. And he eventually just gets totally to rock bottom, even to the point where uh, he's not being able to get work, he's not sure if he's going to be able to pay the bill, the heating bill, and it's cold. And his wife uh, sends, home, sends the kids to live with her family so they can keep, take care of them. And he's kind of just feels broken because he said, I promised our kids we would never have to send them away to be taken care of. And so he, at this place of rock bottom, he goes and he actually goes to the, the boxing commission and asks all of them if they would help. He says, I need $11.23 to get the heat back on so that my kids can come home. And you can tell he is at his lowest having to ask people for money. And he, they, they give him money. He's able to start working at the docks more. And eventually he begins to get uh, back into his boxing and everyone says that he seems like a new person and the the theme that you see throughout the movie as they ask him like what is it that's gotten you back to here because he had he was doing good and then he had kind of fallen off as a boxer and he was coming back and the thing that he kept saying was I am fighting when I'm in the ring I'm boxing because every dollar I make is one dollar further that my kids are from being hungry or one dollar further that my kids are from being cold and not having enough electricity. And I love this idea. I'm a, I'm a sucker for dad movies. You know, I feel like I really love just the dad doing stuff for the family. And the premise is, is that he, all of a sudden his circumstances didn't change. He was still living in the Great Depression. It's not like someone just all of a sudden everything got good all of a sudden, but what he had when he saw his kids have to leave, the thing that he now had was something that fixed his attention, where everything he was going to do was, I am going to, everything I step and everything I do is going to help me to keep my family together. And he had what I want to call a fixed hope. He had his attention fixed on something that helped him keep moving forward. And so, for me, one thing I hear when I see First Peter is Peter tries to hold this idea of trials and a hope in Christ the hope and the resurrection of Christ, is he does not want to tell all of you, hey, everybody, just ignore your trials. You should just be so happy and bubbly and forget about all these bad things going on. That's not what he wants you to do. I believe that what Peter is calling us to and what I hope you can take away from this sermon is that being a Christian does not mean that you have to be full of hope, just bubbling over with hope. But what it does mean is you have to be and we have to be people who have our eyes fixed on the hope. So that when you're going through the troubles and you wonder, how am I going to make it through today? 
What is going to help me live and have a living hope, not one that's stuck in one place and to take a step? It's not because everything's going to get better all of a sudden, but it's because we know the one who holds our future. It's because we know the one who knows the end of the story. It's because we know that our inheritance has nothing to do with what we end up with here on this earth at the end of life, but our inheritance is something that no one can take away from us, that the inheritance of our loved ones who are going through trials is not something that we ever have to wonder, are they going to be okay? Are they going to have everything they need? You know what? The one who died on the cross and rose is going to make sure that their inheritance is protected and safe. And this line at the end of this, at the end of this where it says, for we are receiving the outcome of our faith. The outcome of our faith in Christ is our inheritance, the salvation of our souls. So you do not have to be full of hope, but you have to have your eyes fixed on the hope. We are able to endure the trials, not because we have all the happiness and the joy. We are able to endure the trials, not because they go away suddenly. We are able to live and face tomorrow because he lives and he holds the future. Our hope may not be overflowing and oozing out of us, but it is resolute and fixed on the one who offers the only real hope for our lives, our inheritance, our salvation, which is secure for us and undefiled, unblemished, and protected because of his great mercy, because of the resurrection of the living Savior who gives us a living hope. That's what the resurrection means. The resurrection means that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we dare not trust any other sweet frame, but we wholly lean on Jesus' name. If any of you would like to give your life and be a part of what it means to live for Christ and to make nothing else the hope of our lives, but make his death and resurrection the hope of our life, so many of us would love to talk to you about that journey. We'd love to talk to you now or anytime this week if you'd like to talk. And if any of you have any trials that you would like someone to pray for you with so that we can be a part of going through this walk together and fixing our hope on Christ, then we'd love to do that while we stand and sing this song.